Welcome to today's message from Refuge Point Church. We would love for you to join us for one of our exciting worship gatherings each Sunday at either 9.30 a.m. or 11.15 a.m. We're located right off of I-85 in downtown West Point, Georgia. For more information, check us out online at www.refugepointchurch.org. Or you can download our church app by searching for Refuge Point Church in iTunes or Google Play. Now, here's today's message. It's an honor that you're here with us this morning. And what I'd like to do just in the next uh, 30 minutes of our time, (laughs) that's a lie, uh, just kind of go through again some things that we have been talking through that we actually started a discussion last week on our doctrine and really our beliefs as a church. And uh, last week we looked at uh, how we are rooted in the Bible as being the inerrant Word of God. And, uh, And that's critical before we even start our conversation on what we believe as a church, because honestly, if we don't believe what the Bible says, then we really don't have a good starting point at all uh, when it comes to our doctrines and our uh, foundations as a body of Christ. And so last week we looked at the inerrant word of God. In fact, uh, what I said to you that, uh, what I said to you is, in fact, if you um, don't even believe, uh, or if you believe in the Bible, but however, you're not even acting on the Bible, what good is it? I mean, that's what James says. James uh, says you've got to be a doer and a hearer of the word. And so if you're not even acting on what you know, then, then you are just fooling yourself uh, as a Christian. And so that's where we laid some groundwork at last week. Today I want to talk about God. Is that all right? Amen. One of you. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. We're going to talk about God. You know, that's kind of an incredible and, um, topic. In fact, it gives a little angst inside of me. When we're talking about the doctrine of God, the theology of God, I mean, you know, no big deal. I feel like if I make a mistake, God may zap me right now. Uh, but we're going to try to tackle this thing. And I thought about going and approaching this, uh, give you a word apologetically, which just means like the defense of. So if you're talking to someone who uh, says they are atheist or agnostic, they don't believe in God, then perhaps... Uh, I would want to address that person, but reality is um, most of us in this room, if you're breathing, you are most likely a believer here. Now, if you are not a believer, if you uh, do not believe in God, then you and I can have a conversation. I may even buy you coffee or you can buy my coffee. It works both ways, okay? So what I want to do is I want to talk to you as Christians. So if you are in this room and you are a believer, this word is for us this morning. And what I want to do is just draw from the text about what the Bible says about God. Because here's some crazy things and here's some statistics uh, that I read and I researched uh, this week about God. Now last week I waterboarded you guys with a lot of research that I did on just American religion. And I want to just kind of piggyback off that if I can about Uh, where Americans stand with their belief in God alone. And what you would find uh, on on many, many research sites is that our belief in God has declined with at least 10% over just a 40-year period of time. So over the past 40 years, Americans' belief in God has declined. Now, here's the crazy thing. So right now, Uh, And this is research, it's statistics, so given the margin of error, I believe that this is probably somewhat accurate. Um, Right now, in America alone, 80% of Americans believe in God. Of the 
80%, I've got to say this slowly because if I don't say it slow, I won't even understand it. Of the 80% that confess they believe in God, only 54% of the 80%, y'all following that, right? You're doing the math. I can't. 54% of the 80% only believe in the God of the Bible. So there is a lot of people, I can't do that math that fast in my head. There's a lot of people that do not adhere to the Bible in which we preach from every week. You following that? So this is why clarity is incredibly important in our culture because you and I can go out of this wall, these walls, right in just the next 40 minutes. See, I up my sermon time. In the next 40 minutes, and, and, and some of you can say, do you believe in God? And the person may say no, or if they say yes, it's probably not the same God. And then you'd be like, oh, okay, good, good for you. I'm glad you believe in God. With no understanding, see, this is why this is important, of the God that they may believe in, which is probably not the God of the Bible. All right, so here's what I want to do. I got one point for you. In fact, that's a lie too. I'm lying a lot in my sermon. Y'all help me out, all right? I got one point, then I got like four sub points, but it's going to be okay. They're going to move really fast. And here's what I want you to know about God, okay? Big idea here. So help us, especially for some of us who aren't the deep thinkers, some of us, and hey, I'm, I'm right there with you sometimes. This is what I want you to understand about God, that God is all-powerful while also being intimately involved in your life. Let me say that again one more time because I didn't have no amens. God is all-powerful. At the same time, he is intimately involved in your life. Now, if you can grasp that fundamental belief that I adhere to and that we, that we adhere to, this can radically change the way not only you view God, but how you view yourself, how you view your relationships, how you view your situations, how you view humanity. Because if you have a wrong view of God, that changes everything. But if you have a right view of God, that also changes everything, and it changes everything for the good. Everybody tracking with that so far, okay? All right, good. Nobody, nobody said yes. <laughs> this is going south really quickly. So here we go. So here's God. He is for you. He's all powerful. At the same time, he's intimately involved with you. So here's what theologians are going to say. So I'm going to give you some theology lessons this morning, if that's okay. Here's what theologians would all agree on. There are these three O's. These O's aren't mentioned in the Bible, but these are characteristics of how we describe God. They are the three O's, not Cheerios, not A-O. These are the three O's of the Bible that we're going to talk about, okay? Here they are. Omniscient. Anybody know what that means? Hey, praise God. Hallelujah. Anybody else can name it? So we got omniscient. We got omnipotent, which is all powerful. Man, we got some folks that grew up in church in the house. What else we got? Omnipresent. There we go. That was just because you may have been in the 930 service. I don't know. But you already knew that. Okay, that's right, because we grew up in the church house. Omnipresent, which means that God is everywhere, at all places, at all times. This is going to blow your mind when I get to that point. In fact, let's get right into it right now. Omnipresent. Think about this for just a second. 
I want your minds to be mush, just like mine is, when I think about the omnipresence of God. That God can be at all places at all times. So here's what that means. And here's where my mind cannot grasp. That he is currently in my past while he's also in my present and he's currently in my future. (laughs) Right? That's insane. Because here's the thing. Here's how I know this is true. Because if God could only be at one place at one time, then here's what I would do. I would remove every cross and in its place put a clock there. Because God would not be God. Time then would take his place and be God. Because then God would be confined and defined by a set place at a set time. But if God is at all times, at all places, there is no constraints to his time. Does that make sense? I'll give you just a quick verse in Psalm, uh, just to prove my point. In Psalm 139, you probably got this written down somewhere. You probably got it highlighted in your Bible if you still read one of those things that has pages on it. This is what the Bible says in Psalm 139. Where shall I go? This is David singing a praise to God here. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me by night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light. With you. You know what this passage reminds me of? It reminds me of children, little children. God, I hope they grow out of this stage. Where David is saying, God, everywhere you go, everywhere I go, there you are. It's like that as a parent. Everywhere I go, there they are. (laughs) If I lie in my bed, I think I'm alone but I'm not. Everywhere I go, there they are. Dad. And it's so creepy too at night. You think like demons are coming out. I mean, it like puts a fear in you. Almost wet the bed a little bit. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. All right. If you ain't got kids, you wait in the bathroom trying to do your thing, man. Dad, you done? No. Because if I was, I wouldn't be in here. Everywhere I go, there them little creatures are. That's what David is saying. Like, everywhere I go, you're there. I mean, I could try to escape, but I can't because you're already there. In fact, you were there before I got there. That's the way children are too for some reason. I don't know how that works. They got this supernatural ability. I'm trying to figure this thing out. I got no clue. But here's David, like, giving us the display of God's omnipresence that everywhere David goes, he finds the presence of the Lord there because that's where God is. This, and I'm telling you what, church, if we could get this fundamental belief about God, we wouldn't have to go searching at all churches, all these conferences, 
all these podcasts, and, and hear me, please listen to that stuff. Go to these places, okay? But you wouldn't have to go searching out, trying to find God, because that is counter the God of the Bible. He's here. This is why I never beg God to show up, because what I believe from my theology of God is that God is here. In fact, before I even woke up at 5.30 this morning, he was already here. This is the omnipresence of God. He's everywhere. And then you get the, um, not just the omnipresence, but this omniscient power of God. So this is the all-knowing God. Now, if you want to really just kind of figure out who this God character is, then the Bible says you could look at the life of Jesus. So there's a particular story I was thinking about uh, when I was going through, like, how do I describe, like, God knowing everything without even looking at Jesus? And so there's a story in John chapter 1 uh, where um, Philip is being called, and, and, and he tells his brother Nathaniel. You guys may remember this story, some of the disciples. And, and so uh, Philip goes up to Nathaniel, and he tells him, he says, Hey, brother, I found, and, and Nathaniel, side note, is like under, asleep under a fig tree. He goes up to his brother, I found Jesus. And guess what? He's from Nazareth. His brother says, what? This is me totally like narrating this story. This is how it goes in my head. He's from Alabama. I didn't think anything good can come from Alabama. That's not how it goes. He's from where? He's from Nazareth. Nothing good can come from Nazareth. And so they run and they meet Jesus. And, and Jesus goes, he says, hey, Nathaniel. And Nathaniel's freaked out at this point. He's like, wait a minute, how'd you know my name? And Jesus says, before you were asleep under the fig tree, I knew you. Yeah. I bet you that brother's like, dude, are you a stalker? You've been creeping up in my hut over here? What's going on with you, Jesus? But this is Jesus displaying. Dude, before Nathaniel and Philip were even a thought, God knew them. Jesus knew you before you were even an idea, before your parents even thought about you, before you were even born. Jesus knew you. That's crazy. And here is the love of God displayed for all of us that God wants to be intimately involved in the details and the affairs of your life. He is omnipresent. He is omniscient, and he's omnipotent, which is God is flowing in some kind of power that you and I will never be able to understand. Again, you got to look at the life of Jesus. Jesus got weed killer on steroids, tells a fig tree to stop producing fruit and die, and it withers up and die. I can't even pull up a stupid weed. I'll pull that joker up 15 times. Next day, there's that same weed. <laughs> Devil done got up in my lawn, y'all. I need that all power of God to come down and spray his weed killer on them. I don't flow in that power, and neither does my weed killer. God's got some kind of power, and you get even more of these serious things. He tells a storm. You're not allowed to be a storm anymore. It stops. He tells death to stop being dead. How do you do that? And I'm so thankful. If I could just Get a little praise break in here, if I can, just for a second. I'm thankful that I and, and none of us flow in that kind of power because I guarantee you, when I get on Highway 29 or if I get on the interstate, somebody, the first person pulls out in front of me, I'm using that same power. Swallow them up, God. Earth opens up. 
They go kerplunk. Now, I got this little side note. I did this in the first service, I got to tell you, because some of you may not have been here a few weeks ago. This is a true story, a promise to God. A few weeks ago, I was talking about God swallowing up some weird people in the earth in the book of Exodus. If you missed that sermon, go back and listen to it. The same exact day, right after church happened, in front of the church, a sinkhole appeared. Now, you can't make this stuff up, but one of y'all better repent. So here I am talking about the earth swallowing. I'm not kidding. A legit sinkhole right there. You can go out there and see the concrete that they filled that sucker in. And that thing was like deep. It looked kind of weird too. Like a secret tunnel, like some secret society. They're probably navigating the affairs of the human beings in government. But anyway, that's another side point conspiracy. It's crazy. I'm glad I don't flow in that power, but this is God in his omnipotence in his full power that you and I will never be able to understand. God is all-knowing. He is all places at all times, and he holds all power and majesty in his hand. This is the God that we serve. So when we say, I believe in God, we don't believe in some fairy tale God who's waiting and begging for his, please worship me, please worship me. This is a God who controls all things and he knows all things and he's here right now because God is all powerful and he is intimately involved in your life. So here's like a few characteristics. That's who God is. But here are a few characteristics of the character of God that I just want to like just take a few minutes to talk about. The first one that, I, that, that you see laced throughout all of Scripture is the majesty of God. God is a God of majesty. The Psalms would, would cry this out about nature and, and things declaring the works of the Lord, declaring God's goodness. In fact, in Psalm chapter 8, there's a passage that says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. And look at this, what he says. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you can care for him? Now, here's how I have um, described majesty before. I mean, you can go animal or you can go like nature. I'll, I'll do both, okay? So if I were to knock on your door right now, I mean, I wouldn't do it right now because you're here. But if, when you go home, I knock on your door, and I was greeted by you, and then I was greeted by a dog named Killer. But Killer is a stupid chihuahua. If you own a chihuahua, I'm sorry, it's a rat, not a dog. Anyway, I said to throw that out there. And this dog's just yapping. Here's what I have the power. I don't know if that's what they do. I don't own one. I would never own one. But here's what I have the power to do. I'm not saying I would, but I could squish that thing. My 148-pound self can take on this stupid rat-like rodent that appears to be a dog, but all it does is just bark at me. I have no respect. I have no awe for a dumb chihuahua. Now, your chihuahua may be fluffy and cute, whatever. All right, now, let's just say, <laughs> I have a point. Stop laughing. Let's just say I'm greeted at your house, I knock on the door. This time, this is little Fufu, but little Fufu ain't little, and he ain't Fufu. It's like a Rottweiler. Let me tell you what I'm going to do. 
I'm not going to lift my leg and try to kick that dog. I'm going to back away as quickly as I can because suddenly I've been stricken with awe over this animal because I realized that this animal that probably weighs more than I do can, with one chomp of the mouth, take me out like that. And don't you think, well, boy, I can take that dog. No, you can't. You're a liar. You see what majesty does? It's cool, but if I get too close to little Fufu, who's not little, who's not Fufu, is a Wattweiler, that thing can kill me and something can go wrong. Think about nature, about what happens. A couple years ago, I took my children to the Grand Canyon. It was beautiful, but here's what happens inside of you when you step closer and closer to the edge. It is magnificent. As far as the eye can see, you see nothing but beautiful, deep canyons, mile wide, mile deep. These things are majestic. But something inside of me, the closer I get to the edge, I get a little fearful in my heart. In fact, Marinda's not grasping their hand, cutting their circulation off their arms because she also understands one wrong move and you are gone. And that's not a joke. There's this, yeah, check this, this, this picture, real picture I took. Understatement of the year. <laughs> right? Control your pets and animals. Did you see that tiny little fence? That thing's like here. What is that going to do? All he tripped me up and banged my head as soon as I go down and knock me out first? I mean, one wrong move. Here's the thing about majesty. This beautiful canyon, it is doing something inside of me, causing me to want to go and see it. But I understand that one wrong move with this thing, if things can go wrong, that's majesty and awe. i got a couple of the pictures you can just scroll through. And I've shown you these pictures about God's majesty and the display of his workmanship. That's in Mount Zion in Utah, most beautiful place you'll ever go in your life. In fact, I think heaven may be like a, looks something similar to that. Now, I know, just think about this. This is the workmanship of God, okay? This is the work. You get on top of the ledge of that mountain, though, and you take one wrong move. Things go bad. And I, and I show you these pictures because I want you to understand that there's life outside the uh, rubbled mill that's on Highway 29. That I know that's been your view for like the past 14 years, right? There is glory and there is splendor, okay? Just want to throw that out there. And this is the workmanship of God, and he set all of this in motion. I even took this one picture one day. I was out in space. I'm not talking um, mental space. I was out in legit space, and I took this picture. Maybe. I don't know if I took this picture or not. It's not going to show. Maybe. There it goes. Actually, I didn't take that picture. Hubble did. And so I want you to think about this for a second. This is the majesty of God. These aren't stars. These are galaxies. And there are an estimated, if I can get this right, 10 billion of these jokers. Within each galaxy, there is at least 100 billion stars. Now, I can't wrap my mind around that, but here's what David is saying when he's talking about the majesty of God, that God set all of this in motion while he is actively mindful of us. God is all-powerful, told that thing where to be, set that galaxy in motion. 
placed that canyon where it would soon be, did all of this, orchestrated all of this while simultaneously being involved in your life. This is not deism. So it's a fancy word for you that just literally means that deism is that I worship God, but I understand he's not involved with me. He's just the God that's like, all right, go figure it out in yourself. That's not the God we worship. We have a God, it isn't deism, but a God who is actively involved in our affairs. God is a God of majesty. God is also a God of love. And again, you can go through the New Testament, you go through the Old Testament and see how God is always displaying his faithfulness and his loving kindness towards his people. John 1 John 3.16 would say uh, that Jesus laid down his life for us. That's how much he loves us. In Romans, it talks about his love where it says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In, in fact, in, in Luke 11, there's a funny story where Jesus, he's talking to a group of people and he says to them, he says, I want to talk about the Father's love. And, and again, when you get Jesus talking about God Father, this is, this is crazy for the, for the people who are hearing this because they thought that every God was like a father. But Jesus is talking about a father who's actually involved in their lives. And so Jesus is talking about, so what, who of you out here who are fathers, if your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake? Now, I know some of you dads, you probably do that. That's a joke. I would. It's just kind of funny. Actually, I wouldn't. And he goes on and says, if they asked for food, you'd give them a scorpion instead. So Jesus is like, listen, how much more does our Father love us when we ask for him things? He gives them to us, the Holy Spirit. Jesus is talking about a love of God as Abba, Father, one who is actively involved in your life life, and who loves you. This is the God that you and I serve. Now, just as much as he is love, he's also just okay so he's a god of majesty he's a god of love and he's a god of justice now here's the thing about when we talk about justice let's be honest in this room if we can for just a minute we don't like that god we only like the god of justice if it doesn't pertain to me am i lying on that one right here like it's okay if somebody else is getting some wrath and some discipline But if that happens to me, I mean, I'm just like, you hate me, God. I can't believe you're doing this to me, right? Because we don't like that God. But the two are inseparable. Having a God without, of love without justice is the wrong kind of God. Here's why I know these these two are, are inseparable. And I'm going to try this illustration one more time. Didn't go so well in the first service. Pray for me. So here's how I know this is true, that love and justice, they work hand in hand together. I have a wife. We have three children. Here's what I know about me. If somebody tries to mess with one of them, I have some things that I've acquired over the years that can bloody you up and take you out, i.e. a sword and a Glock. Yes, I have a sword. It's beside my bed. Don't come at me. I am preparing for the zombie apocalypse that is sure to probably never happen. 
She never can be too safe. I'm digressing way too much. Something like this dude is weird and out there. Okay, so. All right. Here's what I know. If you mess with one of them, I'll take you out. Okay? I know some of you look at me like, bro, you can't take me out. Please, come at me. 148. I'm getting old, so I'm getting that old man strength. I lift a car right now. I don't know what's happening to me, Lord. Help me, God, today. I will bloody you up in a second if you mess with one of my children. I'm not talking to you. I mean, I am. I hope you wouldn't do that, but anybody. And I, you know what? I'll put this out there. I'll even start a prison ministry. You know what I'm saying? Because that's probably what would happen to me. All right? I'd hope some of you would bail me out, but that's okay. And here's, and I need you to see this, and this is not because I fancy the idea of being violent. I'm not violent. Never been in a fight in my life. Don't care to do that. All right? I'm a mediator. I can talk you out of doing something, including hitting me. And then I would hit you first so fast and then run. You wouldn't even see me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right in the jugular, man. Take you out. But I'm not, but I'm not a violent person. <laughs> I promise to God. It's my love for my, my, my people that would cause me to be just. It's God's love for us that oftentimes causes him to be just to us. It's God's love sometimes to actually discipline us sometimes. In fact, the most loving thing that God can do for you is to expose you for who you really are. Now, we, but we don't like that God. But that's one of the most, because here's the reality. If God has to tear down your world and crumble it just to rebuild it, that is not his wrath. That is his love and mercy for you. You cannot have a God that is just love without a God that also has justice. He has to have both. This is the God that we serve. This is why what we do on Sundays, what we do on outside in community, in small groups, this is why it's so important. It's not just so we can look at a dashboard to see numbers, to see what growth rate looks like. It's because we care it's because we believe in your growth and we believe that everybody needs people in their life to help them. And the most loving thing that God can do is put people in your life to help put up those red flags and those stoplights in your life to help point out those inconsistencies in your life. It's not God being mean to you. And I've seen far too many pastors have to get up on a Sunday and resign as a pastor. I've seen many leaders, and you see this in the media, many politicians have to resign from their position because they were caught doing something they, could, they shouldn't be doing. That is not God's wrath. It's God's mercy and grace that they were found out. God's wrath would be that they were never found out and they stay hidden in their sin. That's wrath and judgment. 
And so when you talk about the doctrine and the theology and a rightful thought of God, you can't have God without justice if all your God is just some loving God. And yes, he is love, but he's also a God of justice. And then this spurs a conundrum in some of your heads, I'm sure, because it does in mine, that if God is all-powerful, thrower, if what you're telling me, if, if God is all-knowing, if God is at all places at all times, if God is majestic, he sets everything in order, if God is mercy, love, if God is justice, then the age-old question of every atheist and the age-old question of some of us in this room is then why do bad things happen? Why do bad things? That's a, that's a critical question. And I would venture to say that what I have found in my own life and how I respond to these types of things is I answered in two ways in my mind. I try to understand that I'm, I'm extremely, like I can't overstate, I'm extremely limited in my perspective because I am very narrow-focused and when something happens to me, all I can think of is that moment that I'm in. I have no time to think about what's happening in the next 10 years. I have no time to rethink about how faithful God has been for me in the last 10 years. I'm so limited in my perspective of what's happening. My, my gut reaction is just to throw my fist in the face of God and say, look what you've done. Why have you done this to me? You know how ridiculous this sounds? Think about this removed from a situation in your life. Like this is the equivalent of a one-year-old child or a two-year-old child going to their parent and trying to tell them how to parent. Does that make sense? Like if my one-year-old suddenly started talking instead of just mum mumbling Melmo and weird stuff like that, if my one-year-old came to me and said, Father, what are you doing? You're crazy. Why did you make this stupid decision like this? I'd be like, boy, get in your place. Go, go back in your crib, boy. Put that ball in your mouth and shut your mouth. How much so, how crazy does it look for us who are so limited in our perspective and when you think about the galaxies and the cosmos and the things that God orbits and places and motions, who are we to go before the Lord? You say, what are you thinking? What are you doing? We do this because we are limited in our perspective. I'd encourage you to read the last few chapters of Job. You talk about tragedy. Job has this moment of like, he has this raw moment where it's like, God, why are you doing this to me? And God is just in his loving kindness towards Job. He says, where were you, Job, when I hung the stars and the moon? You weren't there. See what God's, God's reminding him, your perspective is so limited, brother. The other thing that I also think about uh, when these things, and I, and I hope, this is just practical stuff, like, I mean, some, sometimes I don't have answers. This is what I do for myself. I think about, I think about like in 10 and 100, I think like 1,000. And if we want to go Southern Baptist and talk about amazing grace, I think about 10,000 years. Y'all know that line in the song? Nobody got that. Okay, fine. It's because we don't sing that song, John. That's why nobody knows that song anymore. We ain't got to sing that song. Um, it is a good song. Okay. Whatever. In 10,000 years from now, 
here, here's, I'm most likely, and I'm not there yet, probably not going to be thinking about a situation that happened to me in the here and now. Because really, when you think about eternity and the scope of eternity, you have to ask yourself this question, like, really, in regards to eternity, how much does this matter? Like, will this bother me 10,000 years from now? Now, I know, like, in the heat of the moment, you're like, Hefe, I will never forget. <laughs> you don't know what they've done to me, you know? I get it. I know. I've been wronged, right? I've been betrayed. I've felt that weight. I've felt the weight of people walking out. I've, we've, I mean, I've, I have been through the fire, okay? I don't want to present to you that I've got my crap together because I don't. I've been through suffering. And in those moments of betrayal, in those moments where you're falling behind an ambulance with your little daughter in there, in those moments, I'm thinking limited. I'm thinking, why is this happening to me, God? I'm thinking, this is it, God. You've forsaken me. You've left me. But now just a few years removed from these things. I can see that God didn't abandon me. He used those things for my good. Why? Because he was never out of control of those situations. Because he's all-powerful. And he never left me while those terrible things were happening to me. When I've spent moments in ER rooms with my wife, with my children, broke bones. I mean, come on, children. Can y'all stop breaking bones? I don't even know where they are anymore. They, they heard me say this in the 930. And they're like, I'm not going in there, Dad. Dad's going to call me out again. You know what I'm saying? Like, stop breaking bones, children. You know, and I've been in those emergency rooms. I've been in the serious moments with you too. And I get it. But here's what I know. Like I'm a few months removed from him. I'm like, God, I saw where you were governing the whole time. And that seemed like life was going out of control. But God, you still had everything under control. Listen, God is all powerful. And despite your perspective, it doesn't matter how terrible your situation is, he's still governing in your situation because he's a loving father and he's intimately involved in your life. This, this is the God that I serve and that I affirm to in my doctrine that God holds all power, which please let that just let you breathe for a minute. You ain't got to have it all in control all the time. Come on, my A-typers. Y'all should have said amen. <laughs> and you got like spreadsheets going on right now in your head about things I've said. Like, ooh, XA, we need to talk about this thing right here. But later. <laughs> you don't have to be in control. That's a weight. Some of you husbands are like, amen, honey, did you hear him? <laughs> Not talking about my wife. that he's in control, and that he loves you, and that's enough. You don't have to go seeking out somebody else's love to validate who you are. The God of the cosmos who set all things into orbit, he loves you and he cares for you. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, I thank you for... Thanks for tuning in to Refuge Point Church's broadcast. 
We hope you were both challenged and encouraged by today's message. We would love for you to join us at one of our exciting worship gatherings each Sunday at either 9.30 a.m. or 11.15 a.m. We're located right off of I-85 in downtown West Point, Georgia. For more information, check us out online at www.refugepointchurch.org or you can download our church app by searching for Refuge Point Church in iTunes or Google Play.